HavanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the new episode of Top 8 Magic. I'm Brian David Marshall. This is Michael J. Flores. Say hello, Mike. Hello, Mike. <laughs> anyway, excellent. The old jokes are, you know, very old. <laughs> so, Brian, what was that? Oh, that was the TV. Was that just hook hands? What was that? It was just hook hands, yeah. No, the, t- the TV just decided to jump in on uh, making noise. I think it was hook hands. Yeah. Hook hands again. Um, you know, we're, we're big liars. We said a few weeks ago that we were going to record some follow-up episodes and, and talk about Battle for Zendikar, and we never did. Yeah, I know. I've I've been tar- I've been so lost in the playoffs for uh, Major League Baseball uh, with the Mets doing very well. That it's really just eaten into all my time leading up to the Pro Tour and most of my time after the Pro Tour. Well, yeah, yeah they, you had the Pro Tour like traipsing around in a Mets jersey every day. I've never I was. seen I've never seen that behavior from you. I was I was. It's it's a lucky jersey with a lucky T-shirt under it too. By the way. Oh yeah, what's the lucky T-shirt under it? Yeah, it's a Mets T-shirt with Gary Carter, who was the catcher on the '86 team, and then the jersey is Doc Gooden's '86 uh, jersey, who was the star pitcher on the '86 team. What is so the '86 team? That's the last team, the last Mets team to win the World Series. They won in 1986 when the ground ball went between Bill Buckner's legs. I'm sure you've heard of it. I don't know what any of these words you, are. You actually, you actually, the idea that a, a ground ball went between Bill Buckner's legs has zero meaning to you? I mean, I can unpack the words you're saying. And no, no, I'm not looking picture. for you to unpack. I, I, it, should, it should just add water and spring fully to life. It shouldn't need to be unpacked. I mean, I, I know what a ground ball is. I don't know who Bill Buckner is. I can extrapolate from the context. Oh, my God. What's oh going on here. Oh, my God. This is very difficult for me. Why? I'm not a baseball I, I, fan, really. I understand. I understand. It's it's one of the you know four or five most important moments in the history of the world. <laughs> it is. It is just ahead of Richard Garfield creating magic. Oh wow! No, I don't think I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, yeah. I mean, most of your like important sports moments involve like the Denver Broncos doing something in the fourth quarter and are much more painful, I imagine. I mean, those, those are some, but then I graduated to just buzzer beater shots by <laughs> take your pick. Michael Jordan, most importantly, I guess. Okay. Well, anyway, that's the, 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 the last time the Mets won the World Series was 1986. Two of the most important players on that team are the T-shirt and the jersey that I'm wearing. The, 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 Gary Carter actually died a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, it's, so I'm, I'm very excited and, you know, th- this is, this is the, I, I, I root for a lot of sports teams, you know, and you know, most of them, but like the Mets are the team that I root for the hardest and baseball is pretty much my favorite sport. Well, congratulations. You know, it's a, uh, this is awesome. This is, you are inches from about as good as it can be. Right. Right. I mean, right. I guess I was there a few months ago and then, yeah, you might be there again in a few months. Uh, I mean, I think I'm, I would be very confident that I will be there exactly where I was last year in a few months. (laughs) 
Every, everyone's picking the Bulls out of the East. Everyone's for, picking the Bulls. They're I don't not know. Even I'm good. What's that? I I didn't I didn't think so either. But I just I look at a, a bunch of the NBA preview stuff today, and I just saw people like, you know, oh yeah, the Bulls. The Bulls are going to surprise everyone. The Bulls. The Bulls. Well, I mean, have they upgraded some players that I'm not aware of? I don't know. It it didn't seem. Uh, they, they, it seemed to be that they they. I think they thought maybe Derrick Rose was was ready to. I don't know. Play more than a third of a season. I don't know. I yeah. couldn't quite figure out. They upgraded by getting rid of Tom Thibodeau, so their players also <laughs> don't have to play four thirds of a game. Well, so here's the thing: Tom Thibodeau might have killed all their players. You know, it's it's quite but, possible. But he got tremendous output from them. You know, if you're if you're interested in getting output from your players, man, Tom Tom Thibodeau was great at that. Like, I, I don't know that Luol Deng is naturally an All Star caliber player, but Tom Thibodeau worked him to the point that he looked like one for sure. And I mean, yeah. to be fair, you know, he basically killed Derrick Rose, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird, right? It's really rare that you see a team that is able to have like this kind of long-term vision like the Spurs do in terms of like you know, developing and taking care of their players and that the coach has this just the like as much job security as you can have in professional sports and doesn't have necessarily feel like, Oh, I have to actually just kill my players here because if we make the playoffs, they can't fire me. You know what I mean? It's like, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Like that, you know, that, that, that these coaching jobs are, are like, basically you end up coming down to, you know, at some point, what's the, what's the balance between just, you know, firing all these bullets in my gun right now or, you know, building up an arsenal that you can fight a war with. I don't know. I think Steve Kerr probably figured it out, though. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just guessing that Steve Kerr knows the answer to that question. Yeah. What a phenomenal first-year coach he was. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's hard to argue with that. It, it is very hard to argue with that. So on this topic... Basketball season is going to start tomorrow. Bulls against Cavs. It's, it's tar- oh, I guess the Knicks, the Knicks, it starts Wednesday. Oh, well, I don't know if it might. Maybe it started today. <laughs> For me, it starts tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think it does start tomorrow. So, oh, Bulls-Cavs is the opener. Are you going to yep. watch it? Uh, I think I'm going to probably have to watch Bastard Executioner as I'm recapping that for Fetchland. Okay. Um, but then maybe I'll tape it or something. Uh, and then I, I actually, I have to uh, be on like a 6 a.m. train the next day. So oh, jeez. Yeah. The days are just packed, as uh, Bill Watterson once said. Yeah, but he was saying it kind of ironically. Right? I don't know. Yeah. I so mean, I like his comics. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, he was just like, wasn't it like Calvin and Hobbes are just laying around doing nothing and just... They were, yes, that's exactly right. You know, I think that is probably contiguous to Lazy Sundays or something, but I never really thought that he didn't mean it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did, he did, but he also didn't, you know. I get you now, I just, I'm just, I guess, horrified at the inability of the 11-year-old version of me to process this fairly... (laughs) Fairly straightforward bit of messaging. 
So, uh, speaking of your younger self, yep. how'd you do with the Pro Tour? Uh, well, the one in Vancouver I did well. Uh, this is <laughs> not, a, that, not that young. Not that young. Uh, this last one in Milwaukee, I want to say is my worst Pro Tour ever. I went one in five. So uh, is, that, is that worse than the one you played with me and Tim McKenna? And... Oh, maybe not. Did we, did we, <laughs> we actually, we, didn't we beat Bob Maher's team? I don't think we beat anybody's team. Am I imagining that? You may you you've played on multiple teams, but I think me me you and it was it was it was oh, it was me you and McKenna. Yeah, like, Dave I, Price fan club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we won a match. <coughs> uh, all right. I, mean, I could ch- I could check. No, don't bother. That's that's yeah. this is the, this is the topic magic podcast. We don't check things as you know. Yeah, yeah. It's against our. That's against our. Our, our, our manifesto. Hit. Yeah, I, I could look up our manifesto, but that's, that would be looking it up. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, that's that basically a, the that worst creates thing a paradox. The first line of the manifesto is "Do not create any paradoxes." I think. Well, you would have had to look up in the manifesto, which is again a paradox creating event. Yeah, yeah. It's basically like opening a black hole and then walking through to a different universe. Yeah, where manifestos are opened and read. Crazy, crazy talk. So, so anyway, so you go, you go to uh, Milwaukee. You yeah. said you don't have a good pro tour. What, uh, you, what went wrong for you? Was it draft? Was it standard? I think I drafted fine. I mean, both of my first two opponents in draft had two grip of desolations. Ooh, I beat the, one of them. That I, is uh, the second best uncommon or first best uncommon, depending on how you talk to in the whole set for limited. Yeah, I mean. Um, yeah, it's super powerful card for limited. Uh, I actually felt like I should have beaten the one, the other guy, but again, he had two grip of desolation. So, how, how likely was that? And the, or there's only one way for you to learn that your opponent has two grip of desolation. Yeah, yeah. he might have had three. You don't actually know for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the draft was kind of a train wreck because I, I had in in the packs in front of me two different copies of Guardian of Sazim. But they were in packs two and three, so one went left and one went right. And believe you me, I thought real hard about switching into blue. That's such a really, really good card. And am I am I correct in that you have Guardian Tazim over Grip of Desolation is one of like the ten or so rares that are ahead of Yeah, I, I have it. Grip have it. or Rolling Thunder? I had it left of Grip of Desolation, yeah. 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 So um so you know exactly how good it is, but you just can't take it because you're just locked into non-blue, and you can't really just splash it on two islands. No, kind of. I mean, well, I had a le- well the the deck that I drafted to that point was basically a a red black aggro deck. I took um I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Black black two for a four three flying sacrifice a guy on upkeep. Oh, sm- smother- smothering abomination. I took him first. I had a Cards bunch, great. Yeah, and I had a bunch of touch of uh, the voids. I had like eleven high playables in <clears throat> black and red after the first two packs. So at the point that I see the first guardian of Tazim, um, I, I really, you know, I considered switching into blue, but I didn't know how many cards I had in each of those two colors yet. <clears throat> like I couldn't. I, I knew I had like two touch of the voids already, and I knew that I had. Um, what the heck, what's that guy's name? The four three guy, smothering abomination. Yeah, so I knew I had him. I knew I, I knew I had some touch of the void. So, but I I couldn't remember off the top of my head 
what my distribution of black and red was at that point. And so I think I had like another, another touch of the void or something in that pack. Right. So it's not like I was shipping the pack and like getting nothing. Right. So, yeah, of course. Was, so I was, I was getting a good card anyway, but obviously if I knew that the second guardian was going to be waiting in pack three, I mean, I would have seriously considered switching. I mean, I, I think that it probably would have been worth it to sacrifice something along the lines of like five or six high playables in exchange for two, you know, of the best card in the entire set. And then, you know, refocusing my draft around blue and in pack two and three. But that's not what happened. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, I didn't play either of the players who ultimately got the Guardians. So it's not like it. It screwed me directly. Uh, and I, I really don't think my draft went badly. I ended up with a perfectly serviceable black-red beatdown deck. Like maybe average to above average deck. The kind of deck that if you go 2-1, you're like pretty happy. Um, but it can easily go 3-0 sometimes. Uh, you know, if you get a little unlucky, you end up going 1-2. Uh, and I went 1-2. Uh, my one win at the Pro Tour was unlimited. And then... Uh, my constructed rounds, I was just like, I want to say I was fabulously unlucky, but I don't know if that's fair to say. I won all three of my rolls, which all I wanted to do going into the Pro Tour was win my rolls and constructed. Yeah, now you guys were playing a Tarka Red, but you were playing like a Tarka Landfall Red, right? Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's fair to say it's a Tarka Red. We're playing like Green Red Landfall. Okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> which I think, I guess the coverage considers a Tarka Red and Green Red Landfall to be um, the same deck, but I think they're they're quite different. I, I think that if you slow down and think about it, they seem quite different. I think that if you're looking at 400 deck lists and trying to put them into a spreadsheet that breaks down what the metagame looks like, they probably look a lot like a Tarka Red. <laughs> well... They have many cards in common. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And, and, um, and I, think, I think the idea being that our, our Tarka Red is really defined by the Become Immense and uh, Teamer's Battle Rage kind of combo. Well, if that's true, we had four of each. And they yeah, only have three of each. Some of them had four of each. Well, anyway, I played only against the Tarka Red players all three rounds I played <laughs> Instructed. I won all three of my rolls. Um... I had one legitimate game, at least, in each of the three matches, which I won. Uh, and then I had one game where I just mulliganed to between three and five cards. So, like, mulliganing to three on the Pro Tour is pretty depressing. Yeah. Uh, a mulligan to five, a nine, a, somehow a nine-turn game where I had one land in place still. It wasn't dead yet. But, you know, like, you're unlikely to win, right? It just keeps getting worse and worse. Sure. As they stockpile resources. And then... I had one game where, like, I non-interactively lost to uh, my opponent's team or battle rage. So it's hard to uh, complain too much about that when your entire strategy in life is to kill somebody with your team or battle rage, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, so, you know, just so the advantage, the advantage of the version you guys played is that you can't get you have actually some options to kill them without having to put yourself at risk for Surge of Righteousness? Well, is that, yeah, is that so fair to say? We're much better against Surge of Righteousness than they are. Obviously, we have like 12, you know, 12 green guys. Um, or is it 12? 8? We have a bunch of green guys. Well, you, you have the Side Leopards and the Snapping Gnarlids. Yeah. Um, 
So we did is there, not. Is there something else? Uh, well, Ari Lax's team played Den Protector. We did not have Den Protector. Although I kind of like that that guy in hindsight. Oh, okay. Uh, Den Protector and, seems sweet in that deck. Yeah, I uh, I just took my Pro Tour deck and made some some uh, Ari Lax slash Seth Manfield changes and just gave it to Zach Hill on Friday night. And he made top four of a local PPTQ, pretty long one. Uh, <clears throat> he did. He did not win, however. Oh, this is the one where he said, "Oh, I finally made." I you know he fi- he posted something where he said, "You know, made top four, and I finally feel like I'm, you know, more than just a shadow of my former self." Right? He felt like he was playing up to his the standard he holds himself to play against. Well, that's great. You know, um, I couldn't play. I had a. Halloween festivities for my kids um, on Saturday. So uh, Zach and I actually went out all night Friday night, which is <laughs> just more impressive. Uh, and like the end of the night, he's just like, I have not been out until two thirty, and God knows how many years. And he's like 10 years younger than me. Right. So uh, I'm like, derf, derf. And, uh, and he ended up making top four the next day. Uh, that's think, that's how he used to roll. Maybe that's what he needed to do again. <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, would rebuy. We had a good time. Basically, it was like I had to be home Friday night because uh, my wife was going out that night. Like, she had, I don't remember. I think she was going out to dinner with some other mom from school or something. And then Zach's like, hey, can I bum a deck for Saturday? And I'm like, I'm like, actually, I have to be home tonight. And he's like, man, that's lame. So then I'm like, well, tell you what, I'll meet you at like, <laughs> like midnight or something. <laughs> I could do a deck handoff if you want to hang out. He's like, oh, it sounds like a fun idea. So that's what we did. Um, but yeah, uh, basically, I, I don't think it was like anything explosively different than what um, Ari Lax's team played at the Pro Tour. Uh, they didn't play McKinney Slide Runner, so we had McKinney Slide Runner in our deck, and so they played Den Protector. A little bit different configuration. They had. I, let's say, I want to say one more land, maybe two more lands when we played. They had a very different sideboard. They had Sarkin and Outpost each in their sideboard, whereas our sideboard was kind of more focused on haste creatures and not letting the opponent block. Right. Um, so they, they were they were looking more to go into like a more mid rangey kind of uh they they were looking to play a game sideboard games at a at a different pace than maybe they would play game one. Yeah, um, I think that's definitely the case. I think their deck was probably intentionally set up uh, to be more more resistant to removal spells, right? You know, versus us, like we want to just put the opponent into a spot. He casts his removal spell, and then we get him with like whatever creature didn't die, or maybe like a haste creature while he's tapped out for his languish. You know? um, our our paradigm for that deck was fairly strictly to never take out any combo pieces. So <laughs> we always had all eight in all games. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't win any matches. In Constructed. <laughs> where, so. where did, uh, where'd Brian Gottlieb end up uh, finishing with that deck? In the money, but out of the invites. I think uh, it's about near where Zvi finished too. Okay. And not that he needs invites. I was um, just going to say, Zvi doesn't need the invites. But overall, the the green red landfall strategy did great. Um, it, it did slightly better than than uh, a target red overall. 
and I, I think I think it was a good deck. Um, I'm not unhappy with having chosen it for that Pro Tour. Uh, I'm gonna tell you the deck that I love from that Pro Tour is uh, there's three three decks I love that came out of that Pro Tour. John's deck I'm in love with. The the, the Jeskai deck, Black Jeskai deck. deck. Yeah, that deck is just phenomenal. Um, the 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 Tassigers just really seem amazing in it. Um, the other deck that I, I love was Sam Black's Bant Tokens deck, which he went eight and two with. I don't know if you saw the deck tech we did or oh, I know, I know the deck, yeah, yeah. I, I, I again, I thought that that was, you know, I mean that that one, you know, I think John's deck of, of is more like a just a a very useful hammer. <laughs> uh, Sam, Sam's deck is is a little more interesting. Uh, and and appealing on an aesthetic level, not just on a wow, this is the best deck for the tournament level. But uh, the deck that I thought was really interesting was Autumn Burchett's take on Green White Megamorph, where she just basically her and a friend just working together reasoned that the Esper decks were not gonna that the Atarka Red decks were gonna prey on the Esper decks, and that they could play um, ah crap, I can't remember the name of it all of a sudden. The, the white, white, white one angel that uh, taxes you for attack. Archangel of Tithes. Oh, yeah, thank you. Archangel of Tithes. And, and they were able to run uh, three Archangel of Tithes in, the, in that deck. And she, was the, she posted the best standard record in the tournament. She went 9-1. and one. That's good. Uh, and I played, I, played a, I played with that deck a lot in, uh, on leagues in the last week. And it's really good. And it, just, and it sideboarded really well. Yeah, I, I liked Archangel of Tides. I had it in oh, like probably more than fifty percent of my sideboards going into going to that pro tour. Yeah. Uh, I only had though, one deck that made it played it main deck. Let me tell you though, if you do play someone who's playing Esper and they have board sweepers, it's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you, it's not great. I mean, you still you still have like a couple Whisperwood Elementals, but it's not great because they can usually just kill you. Board Elemental, and then Wrath you. <laughs> and just set you back to the Stone Age. But it's tough to... I thought it was a great deck. It's tough to, uh, to have a deck that beats everything. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, why, that's one of the things I really liked about that deck, because I thought it was kind of a perfectly chosen uh, deck for that tournament. But uh, so I, I gotta ask you, just speaking of, of hard to beat everything, I gotta ask you a question. Just going back to limited for a second, because yep. we never get to talk about. It. So, I've done about ten drafts over the last couple of days on Magic Online. You know, maybe the last five days, four days, like two a day. My record, and I'm I'm, I'm just fabricating the records here a little bit, but texturally, it's right: three zero, three zero, zero one, two one, three zero, one one, zero one, three zero. The three O's are all either blue red devoid, black red devoid, or blue red, black red, or red black. Some some Grixis devoid deck with only two thirds of Grixis. You know, just straight two colors, mostly blue, and all the O ones, one ones, uh, and uh, even the two one are basically trying to win with any other color. Like, it seems so out of whack to me. Like, uh, like I don't do do people are people actually able to win with an allies deck or a converge deck 
Uh, are those are those actual decks? Like, I have no trouble. Like, if I get my two vile aggregates and my you know my nettle drone and like you know some something to turn on, some other thing to turn on in jest and a couple of merc striders, I don't feel like I can lose. I, I don't understand. I mean, is, am I crazy? Is there? Am I missing something? In like, I've had multiple decks where I've opened up Gideon, Ally of Zendikar. Like, oh well, this will be, this will be the allies deck that wins. No, they they stink. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to be focused on drafting the cards. I am. You know me. If I if I'm like see a theme, if I'm gonna all right, I'm gonna draft an allies deck. I mean, I slam I slam the theme home. I just, it just doesn't seem to have the same, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've seen it win. I, I've actually lost to it with an allies deck. <laughs> you know, I've, <laughs> I've, I've lost to an allies deck with an allies deck. I just, you know, I don't well, know. I found, I found beatdown is not that good in the format relative to, I don't know, every other format I've ever played. <laughs> I mean, your like, vile aggregate is so insane. You just end up getting brick walled. Uh, do you do you not find so like I think if you're just playing attackers deck, I don't know. I, I drafted a great deck in a side draft on Sunday at the Pro Tour, like just red white allies. I had three double strike allies and like just a ton of allies and seems spectacular. Uh. How'd you but do? I went 2-1, so it was the worst, because uh, if I had... We played weird Madison rules. So... <laughs> so, uh, I went 2-1, so, so our team's tied, but I had a winning record, so then we split the rares, which instead of just winning what I intended to win. Um, and uh, one of my teammates, though, went 3-0, and he uh, he got the expedition that we had. So there was an expedition. So since yeah, wow. he was the only 3-0, then uh, he had, like, sole provenance over the expedition. But then Rando, we had to, like, split prizes with the other team. If I had won, then my team would have won unconditionally. We would have, you know, won all the prizes. And then I would have at least had, you know, half the expedition equity. So maybe we would have battled for it or something. Sure. <clears throat> And I made I made a small mistake in my my match to go two one over three zero. I might have still lost, but uh, but you know I don't like making a mistake. Yeah, I just ordered my blo- I I ordered my blockers wrong, which is a weird mistake to make. You know, um, I I don't know that it's ever come up before. I mean, you ordered your opponent's block. Your opponent blocked, and you put his blockers in order and you misordered them. Yes, correct. Okay. If I put them in the opposite order, I think I would have I would have won a very close game instead of losing a pretty close game. Right. So he had like Kite, Kite Sail Scout, is that the name of it? The terrible 1-1 one, one for yeah. one? and like the 2-2 two, two flyer for three. Shadow and Glider. Yeah, so I just put the Kite Sail Scout first because <laughs> I'm like, oh, my guy's big enough to kill both of them. And he had... Uh, is it tandem tactics? Is that plus one plus two gain yeah, two life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I had made the other one, then his two two would have died, and he would have retained the one one terrible guy. And like the one one terrible guy just doesn't kill me in time, right? So 
I'm gonna. I died to the two-two in a race situation where I would not have died to the one-one. You know, and probably I would have won. Like I, I, I had an excellent allies deck, and and I'm coming in, and I'm difficult to block, and he's coming back, and he's difficult to block because he has flying. And the most important thing is about this matchup is that your opponent's playing kite sail scout. So, you know, you should already be ahead. Well, I mean, like, this is a pretty tight draft, right? Like, uh, my opponent in this case was, like, top eight at Grand Prix Las Vegas. Like, the draft had, like, a rookie of the year, multiple Grand Prix top eight competitors, uh, WMCQ winner. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty... None of this is validating Kite Sal Scout for me. Well, um, I thought well, Patrick Chapin sided in Kite Sail Scout against uh, Eldrazi Sky Spawner, and I thought it was awesome. It's interesting. You neutralize the Eldrazi Sky Spawner, which is like their opponent's first pick quality card. You neutralize it with like a card most people are not willing to play. And then the 1-1 one, one Eldrazi is like, whatever. I have like plenty of 1-4 red guys and 0-6 walls to contain your stupid 1-1. One, one. Uh, I, I, I don't... Doesn't, doesn't quite... I mean, I get that maybe it was good in practice there. I don't see that. I still don't... I still just see it being this like super low-impact card that just happened to have an impact in that situation. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's what makes it a good sideboard card. Sure. Sure. I just, I like, I just wouldn't care. Then I'd be like, okay, your guy's holding my guy back. You know, you you've not played a card, and you know I'm gonna attack at some point with this, or I'm gonna find some use for it, or I'm gonna, you know, I I don't know. It's just yeah, it's just super super low impact to me, even even in that situation where it's okay. I mean, I think it's spectacular in that situation, but because. Because the opponent's very happy to have an Eldrazi Sky Spawner, right? You probably spent like a pretty decent pick on it. Sure. You can neutralize it with a relatively, like you said, low impact card. I can, I can neutralize it with a plummet that I got at the same pick level too. But at least the plummet actually does something. Um, I don't know. It seemed. Uh, yeah. I think the card is like not unplayable, but I, no, I'm not I, uh, like the super happiest it, to play it. It is, it is definitely a very Stark kind of card. And by Stark, I don't mean Ben Stark. I mean Bill Stark. <laughs> Who has called every 1-1 one, one flyer for one in the history of magic a lava axe. <laughs> you because know, and he, it does five damage. He just, it's going to do five damage. You know, he's like, well, you know, I could pay, pay one for it. I could pay five for it. Either way, I'm doing five on turn five. You know, it's like. Yeah, it's classic Bill Stark, and uh, it's like uh, no. I don't know that the average listener knows what classic Bill Stark is from a Magic Operations standpoint. They they don't have to know. I mean, Bill Bill works for for Wizards now, and he is actually he's he he does an awesome thing there, which is he runs the Church of Booster Draft at Wizards of the Coast. He is like the draft chaplain. Because while there's a bunch of people at Wizards of the Coast who are very visible and everyone knows as Magic players, there are still hundreds and hundreds of people who are more casual gamers or gasp choke, not even gamers, you know, who, you know, will get jobs and have to do things and, you know, do technical support or customer service or, you know, any number of jobs that a, you know, huge corporation needs to have people for. Yeah, like travel, make sure people get paid. Yeah. Stuff like that. 
We interact with those folks. And he gets those people excited about magic or, you know, sort of identifies their excitement level with magic and gets them into this kind of uh, draft community there. Where he is then able to validate his opinions about cards like Kitesail Scout. By beating up on people who don't have pro experience. (laughs) And Furnace Scamp. (laughs) Which one is Furnace Scamp? uh, Furnace Scamp was like, it was from whatever set. Oh, God, I don't remember the set now. It's the set where Sheldred came from. And the reason I know it's from the set that Sheldred came from is because Bill Stark picked a Furnace Scamp over Sheldred in a three-on-three team draft, passing Sheldred to Pro Tour champion Simon Gertzen, who then proceeded to beat me and Rashad with that card. So I know it was in the same set as Sheldred. That seemed cray. <laughs> it was it was super it was super crazy. Cray. It's like basically a one one that if it hits your opponent, you could sacrifice it to deal four damage. Um, maybe we don't have to talk about the furnace scamp versus yeah. Shieldred pick anymore. <laughs> no, I think we're done. But anyway, so that's that's kind of where my brain goes to. That's so- that's the trauma that is evoked invoked in me when we talk about a card like. Kite Scout Scout. Well, Kite Sail Scout is <laughs> definitely not the best. I'm just saying it has some applications. Sure. It's sure. not just in the garbage pile. Yeah, yeah. No, I think if my opponent showed me three Eldrazi Sky Spawners or something like that, I might I could see bringing it in if I didn't have a plummet or a burning oil or whatever it is, burning earth. Whatever that card, you know, whatever the card is that deals the damage to everything your opponent well, controls. I mean, a plummet is green and a burning earth is red, right? Yeah. This, yeah. this might be your. That might literally be the card that you can neutralize their good card with. Yeah. Yeah. And no, it's so fine. I can see you it. just spend nothing for it. That's the thing yeah. that it's great. Yeah. And maybe you just play it on turn one. And you get them for ten. Who knows? <laughs> I think weirder things have happened. I think I've certainly lost to those kind of races before. Yeah, I'm not buying it. All right. So. uh what what uh, so so what's your deck? What's your your take on standard post pro tour? Um, like, I designed a deck in my mind that I haven't actually test drive very much yet. But I was thinking, like, what if you played um, like a green white mid range deck, which you know you were saying a minute ago that you liked, but you top up on Dragonlord Dramica instead of what people are playing right now. It's just like a little bit bigger green-white mid-range deck. And that you just splash for Become Immense Team or Battle Rage. So the Dragonlord Dramica, if you ever untap with it, it's like an abeyance that makes it so that you always win. Oh, so that's, that's, actually the, kind of, that's actually really sweet. Yeah, so like one of, the, one of the limiting conditions on standard right now is people have these really fast... Team or Battle Rage become immense decks, but they're like pretty inflexible and they're quite vulnerable to even to dispel, right? They're vulnerable to duress, they're vulnerable to spell, they're certainly vulnerable. They're really all in sometimes on against a removal spell. It could be you know pretty problematic. But you can just play like very similar cards to what folks are playing in faster decks, but then you just you know you just top up on Dragon or Dramica. Or like I think that you want to play like at least one or two main deck, but you could just play way more if you just want to play this game of 
getting there and then playing him and then then killing somebody with with the combo. And it's weird to think about the combo being set up over the course of like six or seven turns, but I think I think it's interesting. It, it, it's definitely interesting, and and like also because you're going to certainly be playing. Uh, you know, something like you're gonna oh, certainly play Den Protectors in that deck. Yeah, right? so I say like you could play like Warden of the First Tree, Den Protector, maybe Seeker of the Way. Like, just think about like how abusive it is to go like second turn Seeker of the Way and then play uh, Dromka's Command, kill your opponent's best guy, gain eight life. You know, that seems, and then like you know, nug them for four. Can Can you play a Monastery Mentor? or Is that just I don't know even if I want to have Seeker of the Way. Um, I do think that Seeker of the Way is a better offensive creature than Monastery Mentor. So, um, but I mean, I was just spitballing in my head, like I said before. I mean, I definitely want to play Warden of the First Tree. Definitely yeah. want to play Den Protector, right? And I, I don't know how much, how much commitment I need to have to some of these other colors that aren't green. But I was thinking of just like a super light splash, like... Just off of, just off of, you know, one dual land and or battle land, I guess, and and um, fetch land setups, right? That um, you could easily get to your team or battle reach, and, and you could probably still just kill the opponent on turn three. Like, it, there, I don't see any reason why you couldn't, right? You're just like play out like one or two things in the first couple of turns, and you know, your opponent like, taps out to do yeah, something, and you just kill him. You happen to have. Right, they're like, oh, he's green-white. I've got yeah. a couple turns before this is lethal. I can play this thing here. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh... I'll, play, I'll play that in leagues. Yes, yeah, so I, I, didn't, I didn't really develop out the entire deck. I was just thinking about what cards I would want to play in it. So I like, I like, the, I like the dragon. I mean, also, you, you could probably put the game pretty far out of reach with a dragon and it become immense. <laughs> Sure, sure. So I was thinking, even like, if you can't kill them, <laughs> what was the name of the the green white deck that you were talking about liking um, from top whatever sixteen of the Pro Tour? Yeah, it was Autumn Burchett's deck. She she went nine and one with it. She beat Sam Black in the last round, so she's like the constructed master right now. Yeah. So she's she's got the best record in constructed on the Pro Tour at the moment. So like, if the season ended today, she would be going to the World Championship based just on that deck. Constructed master. Yeah, so cool. But you know, of the cards that you said uh were played in that strategy, like they're a little slow, right? Like Archangel of Ties is an okay casting cost. Whisper uh Whisperwood Elemental is only one cheaper than Dragon Lord Dramica. And I think yeah. like you could easily just play like a little bit slower creature deck and then just lock down the future. Yeah. Yeah, I would play that. That sounds sweet. Yeah, that's, I mean, like I said, I didn't make it yet. I only made it in my imagination. When I actually had to make a deck, which was on Friday, I just uh, took apart and put back together Red Green Landfall. I think that that's probably an okay deck to play, depending on your level of competition. Great. Um, you can also, I mean, Archangel of Tithes is also kind of interesting in that deck because it forces your opponent, if they want to do any blocking, to use up their mana. So if you're getting in with multi, you know what I mean? Like if you're attacking with three into two, you know what I mean? Like they have to commit their two mana just to block two creatures. Yeah. Uh, that card is very, very tricky. 
Archangel? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess it's straightforward, but it actually, like, makes substantial headaches on the battlefield. And I yeah. think it's one of those kind of cards that really rewards you if you know if you know the math behind it and other people are, like, lagging a little bit. It makes slightly, uh, slightly imperfect decisions over and over and over. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's just, like, my gut from, from playing the card uh, quite a bit in... Uh, Prior to the Pro Tour, I I liked it very much. The card that I liked even more. So 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 on Sunday at what's that? Well, I was just saying the card that I liked even more, uh, which kind of goes with Archangel, is a uh, uh, Knight of the White Orchid. So I feel like I, I that's did, also an, that's also an Autumn's deck, by the way. Yeah, I did this session where. Uh, I always went second just to see what would happen playing Greenlit Mirrors. And I won like 80% of the games always going second. I thought that was like... And the, the, the games that I lost were really weird. Like, I would... My opponent would be mana screwed. And then I would end up having like three Knight of the White Orchids stuck in my hand. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know what to do. Like, I didn't want to pull the trigger on the Knight of, White or- Knight of the White Orchid. So I just kept drawing more. And then, you know, I was like... it's. It's not even right to say that I was like far behind. I was just at parity, but I, I had built my deck in such a way that I'm supposed to gain an advantage going second. So, um, anyway, Knight of the White Orchid, that guy is a good man. And, uh, you know, I like him. So, so another card I want to, so you were, you were talking about the Pro Tour. And yep. On Sunday at the Pro Tour, you were talking. In the lo- we were in the lobby of the hotel, and you were talking about retreat to Carlhelm. Yeah, about all these different sort of possibilities you saw from the card. Dad, did you know that that was going to go out and be like some legacy deck this past weekend? Was it a legacy deck this past weekend? Yeah, apparently, apparently people were running, you know, Knight of the Reliquary, Retreat to Carlhelm, and Legacy this weekend. I mean, well, that, those are the, some of the cards we were talking about. So, if you have uh, Retreat to Carlhelm, obviously, if you get a land into play, you can untap a creature. So, um. Depending on how well you can exploit triggers, you can do a bunch of interesting things. Like you just have the enchantment itself, and have the card Sakura Tribe Scout, which is a G for was it one one Snake Shaman? I want to yeah. say, and has the ability tap, put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. Um, if you if you put a, a Karu of some kind, like a I don't know, Simic Growth Chamber, uh, into play, then um, you get the landfall trigger to allow you to untap the, uh, the secure tribe at scout and then bounce the Karoo itself back into your hand. So it gives you the opportunity to generate quite a few triggers. Um, so if but, I went turn one, Sakura tribe scout, turn two, McCandy slide runner, turn three, retreat to Coral home, I could just kill you from a million. Oh yeah, you certainly could do that. Because of the tramples. Yeah. That's uh, certainly something you could do. Interesting. So, and if you had an amulet... If you had an amulet uh, oh, you're, now you're making it really complicated. Yeah, I don't know how... I never know how the amulet stuff works. If you have if the amulet, you could keep untapping the land and getting the mana. The land would untap, you could get the mana from it, then you bounce it. Oh, so you that's... could get the same... So you could just do an amulet combo with the retreat and... 
you know, do all that and just make a million mana and do whatever you wanted. But it's that that's more moving parts. The thing that's really that just interesting. Like the interesting thing is just retreat to Carl Helm and Knight of the Reliquary. Where yeah, so that's each, like a each activation card. of your as long as you keep getting having a planes or forest to sacrifice, you can just go through all the lands in your deck. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a terminal point where you've run out of planes and forests, right? That you sure. just, you just have fetch lands left or something, but sure. Um, I, I saw something where Travis Wu was, I guess, talking about this, where I guess you can you can play prismatic omens in that deck as well, so that you never run out. But no, that's hot. Yeah, and then basically the last card you get is a Jerry Step, and you just make your guy unblockable, and <laughs> you kill them. <laughs> From twenty. Well, he and he keeps on tapping, so he'll be like an eligible attacker, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's you, pretty you, you end with him being untapped from the Sajiri step, and he gets protection from red or whatever. It's like it's it's very cool. Like when you think about it, it's very Splinter Twenty. I was talking to someone about it today, and they compared it to Splinter Twin as being like you just get to play all these kind of just good cards, and then your combo is just I have a Knight of the Reliquary and a Retreat to Coral Helm, and I kill you. I kind of like it because. Um, if in the legacy format you're talking about, right? Well, this could also be modern. Modern. Well, in the, uh, I guess it's better in modern. But I, I was just thinking, like, in legacy, Watsi is nerfed. Uh, uh, dig through time, so just gives people a a cool thing that they can play, especially combo players. Yeah. In the absence of dig through time. Is there anything you could do with this card in standard at all? Does it do anything? Is there anything that? You want to untap that's creature that's making more than one mana, or any way to keep getting. There's nothing you can do broken with the lands. And well, I mean, you need to have some sort of engine that lets you keep putting lands in play. That's the that's the the limiting factor, right? Like Knight of the Reliquary is perfect for that. He just right. keeps putting lands into play, and then right. you keep getting triggers, and then you can untap him. So in in theory, you could turn your like your beast caller or your rattleclaw mystic into like a semi lotus cobra with a retreat to Carl Helm, right? Oh yeah, by like it's just like a small bonus each turn. Well, so so I have retreat to Carl Helm, and yeah, I go turn turn two. I play my rattleclaw mystic. Uh, I tap my turn three. I tap my two lands in my rattleclaw mystic, and I play retreat, retreat to, to Carl, Carl Helm. Helm. I fetch land, untap, tap, break the fetch land, tap, tap. So basically, you get an extra mana off a mana creature on on every. So you you know you a fetch land is worth three mana, like a lotus cobra was. Yep. So you can just basically string together some small advantages that could look explosive in that turn. Right. And maybe you can just win, like because you know the small advantage you had was fairly telling given the development of the game. Right, I played a Dragon Lord Dramoka. <laughs> Anything Dragon Lord Dramoka. So, on the on the subject of things that I like, Dragon Lord Dramoka. Uh, what else? We, we talked about your Mets, which you're very excited about there in the World Series. My Cavs are going to start playing tomorrow. My Knicks start playing on Wednesday. Uh, Charles Barkley thinks they're going to make the playoffs. I think they might make the playoffs. The East is pretty weak. Yeah. I think they made a bunch of good under the radar pickups in terms of just like having actual functioning basketball players on their team. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you guys, you picked up what's his name? Uh, the the guy who got drafted right after Kyrie Irving. 
Oh yeah, Derek Williams. Yeah, I, I think you might have some. I think you might have some some uh, some chances. He 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 I is we'll our see. he is our J.R. Smith rehab project of the month. I mean, you've got uh, Perzingis. That guy seems like yeah. uh, he could be a stud. Yeah, Ben Ben Murray thinks that if you redraft this draft class in five years, you'll want Porzingis as your first overall. Like if you were going to like do it in, you know, in hindsight, he's like, he thinks Porzingis will be the default number one pick. He's going to be the star of this. this He'll be the star of this draft class. But the problem is that might not be for two or three of those five years. (laughs) You know, it's going to take a little while for him to, you know, put a little meat on his bones and, you know, figure out the game and, He's still pretty young too, but he, he looked good. In, he looked good in the preseason. Um, and he's a rook. What yeah, do you, what do you expect? We got Robin Lopez. Robin Lopez is a very good player. Yeah, we got Kevin Seraphim from the who was with the Wizards, who is a is an excellent off the bench defender. Uh, Kyle O'Quinn, who seems really interesting. Like I have, I knew nothing about him coming into this season, but he looked good in, in the, the preseason. And Aaron Afalo. That's, uh, a, that's a player. Jaron uh, Grant was uh, a steal yeah, in the draft him. for us. He might be our starting point guard <laughs> on Wednesday. I don't know. And you've got Carmelo Anthony. Who's looked very good this preseason. But you don't have Omari Sotomayor anymore, right? Nor do we have uh, Bargnani. Oh, good for you. I think he's a net now. Good for you. Yeah, very happy about that. Even uh, even in my most optimistic, it was hard to. Yeah, you know, I try to stay positive, but he really he really taxed me. <laughs> uh, you want to talk television? I do. Are you watching? Uh, pick 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 a show you want to talk about: Walking Dead, The Arrow, or The Flash. I will pick The Arrow, which is the only show that I watch of those three. Oh, you don't watch Flash? I. You know, now it's on Netflix. Maybe I should just put that on What's Free Wednesday. Flash. Did you ha- did you happen to see? See, I don't even want to tell you anything. Just There's tell stuff. Me. I don't that... care. I read spoilers. Do you I'm know who's on? Moron. Do you know who's been on the first couple episodes this Jay season? Jay Garrick. Yes, because I read that, but I knew that from the the press stuff from like months ago. He came through these new time portals. Do you know how many of them there are? No, how many? Fifty-two. Yes. Fifty-two. No, I mean they've been set. They're basically both Arrow and Flash are setting up Legends of Tomorrow. You know, in terms of introducing new uh, heroes. Is uh, it just going to be lousy with uh, with superheroes? Like the dude who works for Felicity Smoke now is Michael Holt, right? He's going to be Mister Terrific. From yeah, who Justice is Mister Terrific? I don't. He's the world's smartest man. Okay, what what book is he from? He's uh, from. Like about maybe ten years ago, fifteen years ago, something like that. David Goyer, who was uh, you know who David Goyer is right, yeah, He's of the course, Dark Knight producer guy. Um, and James Robinson did JSA together, and uh, like James Robinson was so successful from Starman, right? And I, I don't know, some DC editor roped him into putting Starman under the JSA. And the the concept of it was like largely people who were carrying the uh, on the legacies of, of of original members of the Justice Society. So, you know, Starman himself, his father was the original Starman, right? 
Uh, so it's like all people whose whose names were associated with uh, with that. So uh, wasn't Adam Smasher in like the first episode of Flash this year? He was. Yeah. So Adam Smasher was on that team. Um, like Starman. Anyway, Mister Terrific is carrying on. I want to say Terry Sloan's uh, legacy from the 1930s. So he's from JSA. His MO is he's the world's smartest man. He ha- his primary thing is he has these things called T spheres. They're like the there was a T sphere in the episode. It was like a little circle that has a T on it. They kind of oh, like yeah. float around with him and observe things. Um, but he's just really smart. Uh, that's his that's his thing. And like uh, depending on like what vantage point you have from like the near future or like sl- you know slightly to the left realities or something. He can be like a rival or a or a uh, a collaborator with Bruce Wayne, right? So maybe like he works for Bruce Wayne, or maybe he could works on some technology that Bruce Wayne thinks is too dangerous. Got it. But so there, there's um, some some inter- like you know they're both good guys, but there's like some intermingling and that kind of stuff. He was also in Checkmate. So I don't know if you know what Checkmate is. Yeah, I, I remember Checkmate. Yeah. I mean, I read Checkmate when it first came out. Back and in it the was, day, yeah. Yeah, it was drawn by Keith Pollard. Keith Pollard, man. That's an artist that I'm familiar with from my childhood. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. But so so I picked Arrow. Arrow. Talk. Yeah. What are you going to so say? We're going to talk about White Canary. Yeah, so uh, spoilers. <laughs> I mean, I guess anyone who's seen the Legends of Tomorrow promo knows that Sarah Lance is going to be back, right? Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, I'm pretty excited. So, what's what's going to happen with Taya? Um, I don't. Well, in the comic book, that character is not his sister. She's like a street kid that he picks up. Yeah. Uh, who? I guess. I mean, I think it's semi-controversial. She has HIV or AIDS. Okay. And like they made her into a superhero and she's a superhero even though she has like HIV or AIDS and she I don't know, learns how to shoot a bow with great accuracy from hanging out with Oliver. I mean, um, I feel like they were gonna maybe maybe they were gonna go that way in the earlier season with that actress who played the sidekick to Roy. Sin? Sin, yeah. So Sin is actually a character, although she's not that old. So okay. Sin is a I recall this correctly. Sin is a little girl from like Cambodia or something. And um, I think like there's this tradition of girls being plucked from this village and like having terrible lives, like really, really terrible lives and like beaten and broken down and stuff. But coming out of it at the end, they get to be Lady Shiva. Right. So, So Sin is the was meant to be um, like the next Lady Shiva or whatever. Like she was like chosen to have like a ter- this particular kind of terrible life and being beaten down and stuff. But instead, I think she gets adopted by uh, by Black Canary and Green Arrow. Maybe I'm conflating multiple things, but I'm pretty sure that that's what, okay. that's who she is. So she's much younger than the character on the right. on the uh, the TV show. Because they were setting her up, it looked like they were setting her up to be another archer protege. Yeah, so like the. It, but then, it, but then she got a job on another TV show. So <laughs> well, in the in the comic book, right? Like, 
even though Sin is is rescued or whatever, you know, she doesn't have the horrible life that she was meant to. There's always like a darkness about her, right? Like you talk to her, like her eyes glistening, or she wants to talk to Lady Shiva or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I haven't watched any Walking Dead. We can talk about shows that I have watched. I've watched the following shows. Do you like Scream Queens? Do you like that one? I'm I'm behind on Scream Queens because of baseball. Um, but I like Scream Queens a lot. Uh, do you like Fargo? I assume you love Fargo. I love Fargo. This and I liked Fargo a lot last season. I love Fargo this yeah, season Fargo's, so far. So Catherine said in one of her recaps on Fetchland, um, she thought like TV just doesn't get any better than this right now. Uh, uh, I would argue that the show that I like more right now than Fargo is another show being recapped by Catherine. American Horror Story Hotel. This season of American Horror Story Hotel is insanely good. Like, the last two seasons I, I really struggled with, and I, I actually didn't complete either one of them. I'm like, I, that's, that's my MO for, like, every season of American Horror Story I've ever seen. Like, I watched, like, 75% of Asylum. I watched, like, 55% of Coven. I just don't for, get through them. The, fir- the first two seasons I loved, I got through both. I love Asylum. Asylum is just, at some point, it's just, like, torture porn, though. No, no. It, see, I don't, I don't take, I mean, I guess there's always that element of, the sh- there, there always is some element of that on the show. But for me, it was just, like, just taking all these, like, crazy person theories. Like, I see UFOs, I see devils, I see Nazi, you know, torturers, you know, hiding as my, do- like, all these kind of, like, schizophrenic, paranoid um, delusions. And through, throwing them into one big horror trope of just the coven insane asylum, not the coven, the convent insane, insane asylum trope. It was, I thought it was great. I, I, until you said that out loud, I totally forgot that it was attached to a convent. Yeah. Um, and then I loved the first season. I thought the first season was, was I great. never saw the first season. First season's great. It's really worth watching. Well, everything's uh, on Netflix now. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, then the next two were just kind of like... <sighs> You know, is this, but th- this season, uh, visually, it's stunning. The cast is amazing. I mean, the cast is always pretty amazing, but there's just something about um, the way the way they're actually I mean, so they shaping out a story. Money. How do they get somebody like Kathy Bates to do television and be happy about doing? You know, I don't think Kathy Bates is actually inundated with multi-million dollar offers. Unfortunately, as good an actress as she really? is, she's an Oscar winner. Yeah, guess so. What? So's Cuba Gooding Jr. Doesn't get him work. Cuba. <laughs> what happened to that guy? He's going to play O.J. Simpson on FX. All right. Well. For the People versus O.J. Simpson movie. Seriously, not rad. even joking. It's got, like, Matt Bomer from White Collar. Who's great. Yeah, no, this, season, this season's been spectacular. And Angela Bassett is a revelation in this as Pam Greer, vampire countess. Wait, so are they all vampires? Is that the thing? No, some of them are ghosts. There might be a mummy. Yeah? With a drildo. <laughs> there might be? It might be. I don't know. I can't tell. But they all chill in this hotel? Yeah, and the, and the, hotel, the hotel is built by... Uh, basically a guy who's a mix of Howard Hughes and 
this guy who actually did build a murder hotel for reals <laughs> in um, in Chicago uh, before the uh, at the World's Fair. He built this hotel for people to come uh, to the World's Fair and stay. And he had all these kind of like secret rooms and uh, murder shoots to dispose of the bodies and all sorts of like crazy stuff. So I'm recapping the show with the bastard executioner. Sorry, man. On Fetchland. Yeah. So how did that get? Why isn't it great? I, I don't know, man. I don't know. You know, put all they they bet all their money on uh, Kat, Katie Segal and not all their money on Charlie Hunnam. I don't know. Well, I I don't know. Like I I don't like it that much. <laughs> I was like, I just assumed it was going to be great. I, I I assumed it was going to be at least really good, and I I couldn't get three episodes through it. Yeah, it's uh it's not that great. Um, do you like the leftovers? I've never watched the leftovers. Man, it is a soul crushing television show. That and that, you know what? It's the same reason I haven't seen. Uh, oh crap! What's the what's the movie by the guy who made he made Pie uh, and Black Swan? But it's the Darren pirate. Aronofsky. Darren Aronofsky. What's his second second movie? Breaking the Waves. No, it's then his third movie. Uh, the one with Jennifer Connelly. Yes. Yeah, everyone's seen that that scene on YouTube. I I just can't watch that movie because everyone's like, "Oh man, listen." Yeah, they they talk about that movie the way people used to talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre when I was in the fifth grade. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, well, I don't ever want to see this movie. It's just like the stuff of terrible legends. Yeah, yeah. It's just like it's just like they're like, oh yeah, you. If you're even in the slightest bit of a of a down, you know, a downward spiral, you don't want to see it. Or if you're feeling, you know, or if you're feeling pretty good, you're just gonna end up feeling like shit afterwards. You know, it's like there's just nothing about the movie that makes me. You know, everyone's like, oh, that you know, no one ever even says anything like, oh, the performances in it are great. You know what I mean? Like, they don't even give you some kind of, like, life raft you can cling on to. You know, in the she- sea of shit, they're, 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 they're making this thing out to be. Not that everyone loves the movie, but it's, yeah, I can't watch it. Yeah, well, that show is soul-crushing. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's, yeah, same thing with that. I, I, haven't, I haven't watched it yet. I'm watching Vikings right now. Um, are all the episodes up free somewhere on Netflix or something? They are on Amazon Prime. I love Amazon Prime. Me too. <laughs> it's awesome. I love Amazon Prime. I love Hulu. There was a time last year that I actually watched more shows on Hulu than I think I watched on regular TV, which is weird because I pay like the eight ninety five a month and I still have the commercials. I'm I'm getting really close to pulling the trigger on just getting rid of the, the cable the cable box i mean here's the problem with it i'll tell you why i haven't done it yet can't watch sports that's my problem that's my problem i gotta see what the the most basic because i don't i just don't use it i watch so much other stuff and whatever i watch on my ipad i could just chromecast onto my tv yeah you could i mean it's a day later though for the most part yeah but that's fine i don't watch i watch very little of the shows the same day you know, it's like, I don't know. Well, you can't be a very effective recapper if you don't. No, it's true. If it's you don't true. Have a, you don't have a. 
access to the to the stuff in 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 proper time. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking about doing a uh, a World Series diary. Well, you should do it then if you're going to do it. The World oh, yeah, Series man. is starting to. Oh, so I was thinking like starts tomorrow. I was thinking this. What do you think about this for a Fetchland Fetchland uh, feature? Like, I don't think that I was going to plan to watch every Cavs game. Like, even tomorrow is the opening night, right? Yeah. I'm going to have to watch Bastard Executioner, and then I'm on a train at 6 a.m. the next day. Or under a train, depending on how the episode goes. Um, but what if I did, like, once a week, like, here's how the week went sort of thing. I think that's, yeah. like, a doable thing. Cavs Week in Review? Cavs Week in Review. I'll conscript my friend, Brian David Marshall, into into a more punny name than that, but something sure. like Cavs Week in Review. Yeah. So, um, I think that would be fun. Uh, what are you excited about? So basketball season starting, and I, I'm actually I'm actually super excited because I have actually copies of Emergence Genesis in my hands. Emergence Genesis, tell me more. Uh, so Wednesday, which is the. Uh, 28th um if you're in new york city and you want to come to the storehouse from 6 p.m to about 8 p.m we're going to be there doing a release party for the game uh and hanging out showing people how to play just sort of celebrating the birth of this caped and cowled baby the genesis yeah uh but yeah, the game's out. We're, we're, we've, we've got it in almost all of our backers' hands. We've, we've got like one more wave of backer shipments to go out. And then in about two weeks... Why didn't you just hand me mine when we were I will just... I will Because I probably should have just done that while I was at the show. But I'll, I'll hand it to you uh, when I see you this week. Like Wednesday. Uh, and then about two weeks, it's going to be solicited from ACD Distribution. And, you know, start going out to stores. So it'll actually be in stores in time for Christmas. But if you don't want to wait for that, you can go to urbanislandgames.com and there's a handy PayPal link. And we'll just, have, we'll have, we're happy to have you buy it from us and we will send you a copy. But the game is the it going to be on Amazon? It will be on Amazon, yes. And uh, I'm super, I'm super happy with how it turned out. Uh, I'm really excited about it. it. It is of all the things that I have created in terms of uh, comics and uh, you know uh, various you know projects over over the years. You know where where it's something that you know has come. You know I've had this idea in my head, and then some. You know not not even talking about like licensed board games where I'm working on someone else's property, but something where I created the property. This is this is the thing that I am the most proud of in terms of how it turned out. It, it's, it's absolutely, I think, beautiful. Like the Steve Ellis, who did the majority of the artwork, um, did a phenomenal job with it. Jason Navarez, who's our graphic designer, just crushed it. Uh, so I'm, I'm just, I'm super psyched. And, and, and Anthony Conta, who, who did the, who led the game design for the game, just did an, an amazing job uh, coming up with a really fun deck building game. Well, I'm super happy for you, and I can't wait to try playing it. Yeah, we'll play Wednesday. Uh, we won't. I told you I'm going to be on a train on Wednesday. Morning. Oh, damn it. I was going to say, just lie to me and say you'll be there, but 
you can't because I had to figure it out. Yeah, that's the day after Tuesday. So yeah. um, it'll have to be after that. Okay. Maybe we can do F&M or something. And then I, I can F&M. If we F&M, then I can make... Well, I'll have to get my cards back from Zach. Uh, wait, wait, I can make... Because he has, like, obviously my green cards. <laughs> and, like, all my windswept teeth. That's not actually true. I probably have three sets of windswept teeth. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I can maybe make the uh, Dramica, Dragonlord Dramica Teamer Battle Rage check, which might be... Oh, man, he has also my Teamer Battle Rages. <laughs> He's just like a black hole of magically gathering cards. I have some of those cards, so, so um, we're sure we can build something. So we'll make that for F and M, and then maybe we can podcast out. Although maybe we shouldn't promise that, no. given our recent track record. No, we we could uh, we could say we could say we'll try. Do or do not. What's that? Do or do not. There is no try. There is no try. I'm more excited for Spectre James Bond than I am for Star Wars. I'm going to watch them both. I'm going to watch them both as well. I'm going to have to choose. But I'm just putting it out there that I'm more excited for Spectre. It's just like, what's better? Planar Outburst or Guardian Zazim? Which one should you take? (laughs) Well, guess what? You don't have to choose. They take up the same slot in the pack. You pick them both over... Something you pick like... them both over Rolling Thunder. Yeah, exactly. Or Man from Uncle. <laughs> I thought you know. No, so not only did I think Man from Uncle was okay, you didn't like it. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, we watched Old Man from Uncle episodes at uh, the Paley Center yesterday. Do you know what the Paley Center is? It's like a. It's basically like the museum for TV. Oh, it's it's the old. Is it? What, did they rename the museum of broadcasting? Maybe. I mean, it's, it's been known as the Paley Center for as long as I've been going there, but I think it might have been called the Museum Broadcasting or something. I, I, used, I used to go there when I was a teenager and watch your show of shows and a bunch of other old variety shows. It's like on, like, like, 50-something street. Yeah, like, yeah, that sounds, it sounds like that's the Museum of Broadcasting. Yeah, so it's called the Paley Center for Media now. But I go there about, like, half of the Sundays or something. Oh, that's awesome. You watch Man from Uncle? Yeah, we watched like two episodes of The Man from Uncle. So my kids will like watch old episodes of The Simpsons. Like they don't want to do anything else but that, which is fine. But like, there's a li- only a limited number of old episodes of The Simpsons you can watch there. We, you know, we watch Batman, Batman like sixty three, Batman sixty six, whatever it is. Uh, Burt Ward and and uh, sure. Craig. My kids like my kids like that. The the thing that's funny is we watched. Is that is that the some days you can't get rid of a bomb? I, I don't understand what you're saying. That is, so when you say Batman 63, you just mean episodes from 1963? Episodes, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you meant the, the movie that started it all out. Oh, no, no. The, which is the movie where there, where it's a scene on the dock where Batman has like basically a sizzling bomb, like something like that someone with a stovepipe hat would... Re- <laughs> and, and he's just running around trying to find a place to dispose of the bomb. And he goes to dump it, you know, and there's some people rowing a boat under one side of the dock. And he goes to the other side of the dock, and there's some baby ducks. And, and he's like, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. That precipitated the TV show? I didn't realize that. I think it did. Um, that was a theatrical movie, right? I believe so, yeah. It uh, all precipitated me. So, um, so we, we watched that fairly often. And then one day we watched... Uh, an old episode of Mission Impossible. Oh my god. Those are, by the way, all on Netflix. Um, and 
Bella says to me, she's like, you know what I liked about that episode of Mission Impossible? Because uh, we had just watched the Mission Impossible movie, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if you knew this, but this is actually a continuation of this story from, you know, 40 years ago. It's not a reboot, right? Like, it's actually a single continuity, as I understand it, isn't it? What's that? Mission Impossible? Yeah, the Mission Impossible movies and stuff are, like, actually the same characters or whatever. Yeah, I mean, Ethan Hunt, Ethan, Ethan Hunt carries over from the TV shows into the first... Um, no, so, not Ethan Hunt, uh, but the, the Peter Graves character yeah, carries so over, yeah. We watch it, and then Bella's like, you know what I liked about that? And I was like, what? She's like, it, we didn't like it just because we're laughing at it. And... Oh, wow. And, like, uh, it's different from, like, you laugh at The Simpsons because it's supposed to be funny, but you laugh at Batman because it's just, like, ridiculous. Right. You know, it's, like, camp or whatever. And I, I thought that was kind of an interesting observation. But they, like, totally love these, like, old old TV shows. So did you when you watch Mission Impossible, did you just watch a random episode? Yeah, like Pete, some random episode. Like Peter Graves and Leonard Nimoy and... Um, yeah, like... I don't remember who all was in it. So if you watch the first season, yeah, before Peter Graves was on, it was Martin Landau was in the Leonard Nimoy role. I, uh, oh no, you know, we watched Martin Landau. Okay, so you saw you saw the guy who basically plays the DA on Law and Order for all those years as a young man. I think Stephen Hill is his name. Plays the Peter Graves plays the lead uh, MI Mission Impossible agent. On the early episodes of Mission Impossible. Yeah, I didn't register all that. I only watched one episode. Yeah, yeah. He's like, it's really cool because he's basically was this actor. He did a bunch of stuff in the 60s, did Mission Impossible, was, is a fairly, um, fairly religious in, um, in, 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 as, as a fairly observant Jew. And wouldn't work on Saturdays. <laughs> and finally, the show was just like, you know, get the hell out of here. You know, some, you know, some, some horrible, you know, thing. Like they, he and the show kind of came to a parting of the ways. And then the guy didn't do any acting for like a hundred years. For like thirty years. Yep. And then the guy, the Dick Wolf from Lone Order, is like, I loved that guy. Like, can, can we get him to play the DA? <laughs> And then he, he just has some like super successful career where he gets to be on TV for 15 years, sitting in an office, grumping at people. <laughs> but yeah, Mission, Mission Impossible is really sweet to watch. Yeah, I liked it. So. You know what's right. really sweet to watch? What's that? Like looking at your opening grip and there's a team or battle rage and become immense in it. And like nice. A creature. Are you playing magic right now while we're talking? No, I'm paying oh, okay. fully paying attention to the conversation we're having. Okay. Why are you well, playing magic? I am not. I'm not. Neither one of was, us would know because we don't have the visual aspect of the Skype enabled. But if I was, I would be drafting blue, red, devoid. All right. This is what I think about the draft form. I actually don't like it. Uh, and it's not just because I went one, two in my pro-tour draft. And it's not just because I'm incapable of winning an FNM instead of winning all of the FNMs like I did for Origins. The reason I don't like it is I feel like a lot of the strategies require you to be like like uh, I want to say tunnel vision synergistic 
Yeah, right? they like, do. Um, like, what's the name of them? Merklurker? Is that the name of the... Merk Strider. Merk Strider and, and Mist Intruder both stink. Unless you have the other one. Yes. Okay, like, neither one is good. Unless you have the other one. But what if your opponent has, like, five Kite Sail Scouts? Well, then that Mist Intruder is a rock star. Well, what I was thinking is just, like... Imagine he has like one Griffin, <laughs> like one two-two flyer for three. Like you could just be in this spot where your opponent completely neutralizes your deck with no, like a random I, common creature. Like I, I've even gone so far as to like in the right deck, and 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 I, it's so funny because I just went off on how bad Furnace Scamp was. But I've played Salvage Drone. I think Salvage Drone's okay. I mean, it's not uh, Salvage Drone's pretty. Bad and you know I mean, it, it dies and it loots, man. You, yeah. you just need to get something going, right? Right. right. Like, it's fine. The, the thing with that deck is, if you don't get something going, your deck doesn't do anything, right? Like you can have insane cards. You can have like I've had cards like Blight Herder, Oblivion Sower, like the Unreal top end cards for the Devoid deck. Bl- Blight Herder is so good. I mean, Oblivion Sower is like unbeatable. Yeah. Right. Like so, you can have like the great top end guys. But if you didn't catalyze your opponent's deck, like, you just have this brick. I mean, yeah, it's, well, it's still fine. I guess Blightherder's just like an overcost at Urnimgen or whatever. At that point. I mean, that, that's, like, one, that's one of the reasons I like Vile Aggregate. I think Vile Aggregate might be my, like, a card I pick over almost everything but the most insane rares. Yeah, like, it's a very good card. It's like a high-tier card. Yeah, and it just, um, it just push, and it just pushes through and gets you your ingest going. <laughs> No matter what, and then your shitty and jest guys actually do something because they make him bigger. <laughs> well, that's my point, right? Like, it sounds like you figured out how to draft this kind of deck, and and you're still oh, getting it's, rewarded. It's, it's exactly what I like doing, right? It's just like this is me just saying I'm taking Trump the Domains over over the Everything. Red X spell, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It's just I'm going to do the thing that I know how to do, and I'm going to do it to the exclusion of really powerful cards sometimes because I want all the synergy. And, and like, honestly, like I feel like I've just beaten decks that have had cards that are so much better than mine pretty consistently, but they just haven't had the ability to, to do any, you know, they're just kind of like, I'm going to deploy a card. It's like, well, I deployed these cards earlier. I got some damage in now I can, you know, I can Rock do five damage to yeah. your guy. I can bounce your guy. I can tap your guy. You know, I just feel like you it all comes all together. Your guys. Yeah. Attack you for five. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. I got to go. Now I want to draft. All right. Um, everyone should go to facebook.com slash top eight magic and like it. We, for, yes. we haven't asked anyone to do that in a long time. They and should. also, you should just go to Fetchland and read like all the, all the awesome stuff. We have tons of content up on Fetchland besides this podcast, which will um, be posted probably in multiple places but uh and uh you know what we've been trying to do there is kind of like an extension of the podcast in that there's some magic but you know we talk about all kinds of things right we talked in this podcast about baseball basketball tv and we're trying to we're trying to encompass the flavor of things that all of us like that aren't just magic right, right. So we, 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 like we, we might not always talk about gaming but ideally we're talking about things gamers like and yeah, so hopefully you'll like some of them. Um, there's some stuff that's uh, really cool. And uh, do, you, do you have any kitchen table gaming coming up soon? I do. I have an episode for Emergence Genesis that's actually going to be coming up uh, 
within within the next two weeks, depending on when my editor is able to finish putting it all together. I'm very excited for that. Uh, so uh, check all that stuff out at patchdown.com, etc. I'm Michael J. BDM. Bye.